Welcome to Spectrum Policy 101, brought to you by Policy Tracker, which produces a newsletter, research and training courses about spectrum management. In this podcast, we're going to look at the importance of international agreements in spectrum policy. And like our other 101 podcasts, we're trying to provide an introduction to people who know very little about the subject, while also highlighting some interesting issues for those that know much more about spectrum management. My guide for today is Mohammed El Maghazi, Head of International Policy at the Egyptian regulator, the NTRA, who's also the co-author of a very good book on this subject called The International Radio Regulations, The Case for Reform. So, Mohammed, let's start right at the beginning and see if we can get right to the end, which would be the case for reform in about 20 minutes or half an hour's time. But welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. And... Could you tell us, first of all, why we need international spectrum agreements? Thank you so much, Martin, for this opportunity. First of all, it's it's really a pleasure being here today, and congratulations on the added value you have with all the policy tracker initiatives that have become essential for all spectrum managers um, around the world. So talking about spectrum, uh, usually spectrum cannot be treated locally. Spectrum does not respect border. You will hear that a lot at the International Telecommunication Union. That's why countries, even despite of any politics, have to agree with each other. And you will be surprised, not to mention specific countries, how these countries have a problem, have a problem with borders. But when it comes to spectrum, they have to agree on something. Because I need you, when you are visiting my country, to use the same equipment for your phone, for your any wireless communication that you are using in your country. So that is the case now, but it's important to mention that that was not the case perhaps 100 years ago. And from that was the need for the ITU and for the World Radio Communication Conference, the need that, all right, on spectrum management, guys, we need to agree on, on something globally. That's very important for Wi-Fi, GBS, TV, you name it. You name it, Mark. I suppose if you think about it very simply, if you're a landlocked small country like Luxembourg, if Luxembourg tried to do something different in spectrum management terms to the countries around it, it wouldn't work, I suppose. Yes, exactly, and not even for a country. So uh, if you've been to Geneva, the airport of Geneva is almost at the border between Switzerland and France. And these two countries have to agree on uh, which frequencies they're going to operate because they have different operators. So for small countries, for borders, for uh, maritime uh, communication, we need to agree on everything related to wireless communication. And what would happen, for example, in maritime communications if you didn't have international agreements about how the spectrum should be used. You don't want to have this, Martin. That was the Titanic, like 100 years ago. So people at that time didn't agree that my equipment would need to work with you and so on. And at that time, the Titanic uh, very briefly sent a signal. The coastal station didn't receive it because they didn't have the same equipment. And voila, we had the Titanic. But right now, the maritime communication is one of the most, uh, I don't know, longest uh, or oldest agreement that we have 
And that's why you can have uh, your boat or your ship uh, sailing everywhere. Yes, and I suppose there's, going back to Luxembourg, if Luxembourg um, wanted to do, let's say, mobile communications in a band that was being used by broadcasting, which is a lot more powerful uh, uh, signal, it, it would have huge problems doing that as well. Well, let's not focus on Luxembourg, because Luxembourg is a special case. <laughs> but anyway, even for larger countries, uh, nowadays it's the interest of any country of any size to harmonize with the other world. As I mentioned to you, you have roaming issues, you have interference issues, so you have to agree. Otherwise, you will have that equipment that doesn't work anywhere except for your country. And if you have it on the border, you will have interference perhaps from your neighbor. So that's why when it comes to spectrum, it's all about international coordination. And then another aspect to this as well being the need to be able to bring equipment costs down. Can you explain a bit about that? Yes, as well? exactly. So uh, not all countries are manufacturers of, of big equipment, all right? And then you have these countries, European countries, Japanese countries, American countries, and then you have that standard, X standard, Y standard. So it's all about harmonization. And this is the key word that we, we're using in World Radio Communication Conference. Guys, we need to harmonize everything. And it's not only about the radio spectrum or frequencies. Sometimes it's about transmitted uh, power, antenna parameter, uh, anything. We need full harmonizations, not to have interference and to have a low-cost equipment and to communicate with, e with each, uh, each other. Absolutely. And so you mentioned the, the ITU. Just to explain to us what the ITU does and what it's a part of and what its sort of status is as an organization. Well, uh, <laughs> this is my life for the last 20 years. The ITU for some is uh, that big building, you know, in Geneva, a big tower next to the United Nations uh, building in Geneva. But for me, these are the people that are responsible of all of our daily life communication, right? It's been established for more than um, 100 years ago. Uh, perhaps uh, in the 19th uh, century. But uh, the need for establishing uh, the ITU or to have the World Radio Communication Conference, uh, as I mentioned to you, Titanic was one of them, was, uh, was one of the initiatives. But even before that, countries tend to agree on how we communicate with, with each other. So the ITU is all about uh, our human needs, you know, to communicate. And in order to communicate, we need to speak the same language. And this is what the ITU is doing. So the ITU is mainly focusing on uh, three aspects. Um, for me, the most important things is spectrum management, and that's about harmonizing spectrum. But it's also addressing other stuff. Uh, like, in instance, the development issues that developing countries need. And we have, like, 100 developing countries in the world. So the ITU has a specific sector that is focusing on that. And then we have the standardization a sector, and as I mentioned, in order to be harmonized, you, you, you need not only to harmonize the radio spectrum, but to harmonize the standards that uh, you are using. And it's a part of the United Nations, the ITU. It is, is one it? of the oldest United Nations uh, uh, premises or organization. It has an unusual aspect, unlike other parts of the United Nations, where it's done by mutual agreement, by, by consensus, which 
seems very unusual in international terms. You're absolutely right. Uh, we're not talking. Let's not mention a specific other UN uh, organizations. But when it comes to the ITU, it's different. Because as I mentioned to you, Martin, we need to agree on this. So the main you know, interest or initiative is to agree on something. That's why at the end of the day, people, although they can vote to stuff, they can object to stuff, they tend to agree. And, and, and let me tell you, Martin, it's something beautiful to have 193 countries sitting in the same room, sitting, discussing th something, and they agree, you know, they agree on that. It, it gives you hope, you know, that <laughs> everything is possible. So for 100 years, they've been producing agreements by consensus. And everyone has always agreed to all the measures that they've put in place, all these harmonization measures. Well, to be accurate, in some rare uh, instance, voting has been used. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it was really the, the last solution. The last voting that I recall was in 1995. But since then, uh, at least for the last WRC 19 that was held in Egypt, voting was not even, you know, uh, thought of. Because voting, uh, you know, it, it implies that we don't agree. It implies that we haven't succeeded in the mission that we have came here. <laughs> we haven't succeeded in harmonization. So even if we have this voting on something and uh, we have this decision, perhaps countries wouldn't, you know, apply it. So in that case, uh, it wouldn't be effective anymore. So you mentioned there a great telecoms acronym, WRC 23. So can you, can you explain to us what that is and when it's happening? All right, let me tell you that in a few months in uh, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, you will have 4,000 people gathered for four weeks to agree on 30-plus items related to the future of wireless communication uh, around the world. This is WRC 23. Uh, and preparation for WRC 23 has started from WRC 19. So people have been working for more than three years now on 30-plus item that will be discussed in four, in four weeks. And Martin, if you think four weeks is a lot, let me tell you that in the past, we did have a conference, WRC, in Atlanta that lasts for three months. All right? People stayed. Oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, in a few months... So you, you've, got to get, you've got to get delegates from 193 countries, and they're all in one building, working out these uh, agenda items for the World Radio Conference. And you do, that's got to be done within a month. Approximately. Yes, by the last day. And uh, that's very usual in WRC that people in the day before the last day, they stay in the room, you know, for more than 24 hours because we have to agree. We need to agree on that. And you have a role within it, don't you? And have had roles within well, it. Well, I was lucky enough because of the support of my organization and because of the support of the Arab organization that uh, in this period, um, I was the vice chair of uh, the conference preparatory meeting. I've also uh, been lucky enough to lead the Arab Spectrum Management Group when it comes to mobile communication. Right. And you, you mentioned there the Arab Spectrum Management Group. So that's one of the regional groups that feeds into the 
uh, World Radio Conference process. Can, can you explain a bit more about how that works? Uh, well, if you have 193 countries that need to agree on something, perhaps it's a good idea to have them in regional group, right? So this is the main idea of having a regional group. Because uh, if you come to a meeting with 193 countries to agree on something, it would be impossible. But in regional group, you have less countries in more meeting, uh, perhaps speaking the same language, sharing the same culture, trying to discuss that thing. And after that, you will have these regional group discussing with the, the other few regional group uh, these stuff. So agreement is, is, uh, is much easier. And of course, in some cases, you have countries that is part of, uh, of, of two groups. So Egypt, for instance, is part of the African group and uh, the Arab group. And that's, in my opinion, a good thing because we tend to facilitate the coordination and cooperation between the Arab and African countries. And there's a, a tradition, I think, in world radio conferences of uh, everyone staying up all night until the, the final signing of it, uh, of the, the uh, agreement at uh, about nine o'clock the following morning. Is that connected to the consensus aspect of yes, it? Yes, it's think? called the consensus by exhaustion. Because people, <laughs> believe it or not, when you are tired <laughs> and they haven't slept for a while, you tend to agree on stuff that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't agree a month ago. Uh, so this is the spirit of uh, WRC. You need to agree on uh, that thing before the last day. Could you tell us some of the most interesting agenda items that are being discussed at the WRC 23? Well, one of the um, most uh, or, or hottest issues on uh, WRC 23 is the future of the um, 6 gigahertz. And then you have that tension between the mobile camp and uh, satellite camp and Wi-Fi camp. So um, we have this upper 6 gigahertz band that has been discussed, uh, if I remember 6 giga 425 to, six, uh, to 7 giga 125. Some countries and uh, manufacturers want to have it uh, for uh, the future of mobile communication. Some other uh, folks want to keep it for the satellite operator. And on the other hand, you have countries that have decided already to uh, use it for Wi-Fi, uh, including the U.S., uh, so it, it, it's not a simple discussion, Martin, because it's, it's related, you know, to the essence of a spectrum management and whether you want to have it for licensed or unlicensed, whether you have it for terrestrial or for satellite services. It's a very complicated discussion. But as I mentioned, uh, I have hope that uh, this will be resolved at, in Dubai, inshallah. You don't have to have a global agreement, do you? I, I think I'm... People would prefer one, I'm sure, but generally there aren't global agreements, are there? You have different types of agreements. So sometimes you have a global, that would be perfect. Sometimes you have regional, and sometimes even you have few countries that can uh, agree to something. But uh, most preferably, it's, it's global, if not regional. But with 6 gigahertz, it seems a bit unlikely that you would have all the countries of the world taking the same approach, in, in my opinion, anyway? Um, I cannot approve or deny that. <laughs> this is very dangerous <laughs> to mention now. But it's my duty yeah. to get people agree on, on, on something, by the way. It doesn't have to oh, be I a see. mobile or, or satellite. But uh, I prefer that we agree to something together. Yes. I, I suppose the point I was making is that you do get some agreements that are just for 
region one, as it's called in ITU terms, i.e. Europe and Africa. And then you get some agreement, some harmonization that's for region two, i.e. Um, the Americas. Um, that's a, a fair description of how it happens in practice, is it? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And um, uh, traditionally, the world has been, you know, uh, divided into three areas. Region one, which is um, uh, Africa and, and Europe and the Middle East. And then you have region two, the two Americans. And, and then you have region three of Asia and uh, Australia. In my personal opinion, that was for uh, a historical reason. But now, in the area of globalization, it's in the interest of everyone that we have this regional allocation to spectrum everywhere. Global allocation of spectrum everywhere. And the, the wider the allocation of spectrum, the, the more countries that use it, the, the cheaper the equipment should become because the more of it is, is made. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's a very simple idea. And that's why I think we've been good at what we are. We've been very successful because look at the mobile uh, terminals. It, it's getting cheaper. Looking at wireless equipment in general, it's, it's getting cheaper. And that was not the case in the past, Mark. Some of the agenda items at the World Radio Conference really are looking a very long way ahead. Um, some technological developments that are being anticipated for many years in the future. Could you tell us a bit about that? So you are talking about future agenda item? No, more about, uh, for example, uh, we, we've spoken recently about HAPS, a uh, you know, high-altitude platform for mobile and other services. Um, and th now, that's something that has been discussed uh, you know, in in amongst um, the uninformed people, if you like, uh, just in the past th three or four years. But it's something, in my understanding of it, that's been discussed for many, many years at the ITU. Well, uh, I would say yes. Haps, haps for for uh, in a specific, has been discussed uh, for many years. But the technology itself has has been developed, you know, significantly, and in, in last years. And right now, one of the most important agenda item, if I may say, is uh, the HIPS. And HIPS is a different model than HAPS. It's uh, having this HAPS as IMT stations in, in, in the air. And the development in technology has also benefited the discussion at, at the ITU. And it's not about the HAPS or HIPS or, or mobile communication. We have several uh, important and interesting uh, discussion and related to new technologies uh, within the ITU. Uh, eSIMS, for instance, that has been also on the agenda item of uh, previous WRC, but the technology itself, it has been ad uh, advancing, uh, Martin. And the more that, that we know about some specific technologies, that perhaps we, the same people, will change our mind. Yes, yeah. It, I, it struck me how foresighted some of this, this is, how some of the, the technologies step into a a space in the spectrum world that has been created for them perhaps 10 or 20 years earlier by the uh, people meeting together in the ITU. Uh, as, as I mentioned to you, Martin, uh, technologies have changed. So perhaps 25 years ago, there was that hype about satellite, and we did include a lot of frequency band for satellite. At that time, it was not successful. It doesn't mean that we were wrong about that technology, but we cannot predict the future, Martin. <laughs> what we can do is to be well prepared for it. 
And right now we are discussing perhaps similar stuff that we were discussing when it comes to satellite industry in the 90s. But the technologies itself, it's been more advanced. It's been more advanced. And the, the, the same applies for many, many other uh, technologies. So WRC and ITU is about getting well to the future, but we cannot predict the future. And in many instances, we've been wrong about what, what's, what's to do about the future. That's why, it's, uh, at least and this is my personal opinion, you have to have that balance, all right? And this is the ITU uh, whole idea. You have 30 agenda items that we discuss together. And then you have that proposal that uh, I want to discuss that alone or to have a conference for that alone. But when you are discussing 30 maybe not related items together, you have that holistic view on the future of wireless communication. And perhaps you have a, less, uh, a more certainty and a less probability of error. I suppose one of the criticisms of the whole ITU process has been that it's quite slow. That if you wanted to get something on the agenda, if you wanted to achieve a sort of globalization of a, um, a global harmonization of a particular spectrum band, you'd, you'd need to get it on the agenda for the next... WRC and you need to do that at this WRC so the, the whole process probably takes about 10 years do you think that's a reasonable criticism of it that it's too slow well uh, it is too slow but uh, you are too sure also when you are too slow so uh, not to take a specific point but Martin, you have 193 countries, you know, in different stages of development. You have the U.S., and then you have the poorest countries, country in the world. And you want them to move together. You want them to have the same equipment. So it's, it's a little bit complicated, uh, if I may. Uh, perhaps, yes, the technology has been progressing uh, very quick nowadays. Perhaps there is a need to revise uh, the procedures. But uh, let me assure you that the procedures provide a lot of certainty to all the players. Yes, for some developed countries, they need more liberalization or more to take quick decision. But the ITU has not prevented these countries in taking that decision or in, uh, in adopting unilateral um, approach. I don't want to name some specific countries, but this is the, the beauty of the WRC process. It provides you the sovereignty it provides you the flexibility and the certainty. If you don't want to apply the radio regulation, yes, you have some articles that provide you the flexibility as long as you don't cause interference. So it is possible for the fastest developing countries to sort of pursue their own agenda, like, for example, with, with 5G, as long as they're not using the spectrum in a way that interferes with neighboring countries. Yes, but um, again, because I have this policy of not mentioning countries, but you have these countries that has been, you know, very quick in, in taking a decision, and then a few years after that, they reverse their decision. So yes, it has a bronze and cons. It's, uh, your country is sovereign. You have to calculate the benefits and the disadvantage, and you, you do a decision. But with the ITU, I would say you're safe. You know, you have this certainty, you have harmonization, and you have protection against interference. What more can you ask for? Well, thank you very much, Mohammed. That, it's re that was really helpful and uh, a re really good um, summary of how the, uh, the ITU and international spectrum agreements work. So many thanks. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for this. And I would like also to take this opportunity 
to invite all participants on your podcast to the coming uh, Global Symposium for Regulator to be held in Sharm el-Sheikh from 5th of June to 8th of June. We have this very important session on Spectrum for the Future, and it's going to be moderated by the ITR director, Mr. Mario, on the 6th of June. Thank you so much, Martin. You can keep up with this subject by following the news articles and blogs on our website, policytracker.com, and WRC23's one of the policy dossiers, which are part of our Spectrum Research Service. So many thanks for listening to this edition of the Spectrum Policy Podcast, and remember to subscribe via your podcast provider so you don't miss future episodes.